Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 229 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Real Good Foods, Dexcom, Dancing for Diabetes, and Omnipod. To find out more about the sponsors or just to see the Juice Box Podcast online, you go to juiceboxpodcast.com. You can also find links in the show notes of the podcast player you're listening to right now. But if you'd like to be old school about it, go to dancing4diabetes.com, myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox, dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, or realgoodfoods.com and use the offer code juicebox at checkout to save 20% on your entire purchase. Let me just tell you very quickly two things. First of all, of course, nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making changes to your medical plan or becoming bold with insulin. And speaking of being bold with insulin, I've done a bold thing myself, tried to make a little less work for myself. I have combined, merged together, in fact, the two Facebook pages, one for Arden's Day and one for the Juicebox podcast. They've been merged together into one Facebook page called Bold with Insulin. Please make sure you're following. I don't want to put a challenge out there, but to you Facebook users, I do get a lot of uh, activity on Instagram, not as much on Facebook. So, I mean, if you're feeling competitive with the Instagram folks, get in there. Also, if you're considering asking me to your event to speak, my calendar is starting to fill up for 2019. Now's the time. Go to juiceboxpodcast.com, scroll to the bottom, click on contact, send me a note. Today's guest was told about the podcast by a friend. She listened to it and didn't particularly like it. But guess what? Spoilers! She feels differently now. Hi, my name is Danelle. I am the wife of Nicholas and the mother of three kids. I have Eliza, who is almost 10 years old, and Henry and Allison, who are three-and-a-half-year-old twins. And my Eliza, my oldest, is my type 1 diabetic. Okay. All right. So there's a lot of numbers there. Let me get a pen. <laughs> All right. Eliza, type 1, a couple of twins we probably don't talk about, except to wonder if they're feeling completely left out. And <laughs> um, how long have you guys been married? We've been married for 20 years, almost 20 years. So let's start a little bit with Eliza's story. She's how old again? She is almost 10. Almost 10. Diagnosed? When she was three and a half, the same age the twins are now. No kidding. Okay, so you're, yeah. you're coming up on seven years or right there. Yeah, yeah. we just passed six in August. Okay, so, so. Two, so 2011, you're rolling along. You've been married for quite some time already. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and so what happened there with the, what, I, I, I appreciate a good, we didn't just get married and have a bunch of babies right away story. So what, what were you guys doing in the beginning? World domination? What were you? Yeah, that's what we're aiming for. No, we, we actually wanted kids right away, but that did not seem to be in the cards for us. And so we, um, we tried a number of different things mm -hmm. and then we had the opportunity to adopt Eliza. And so we adopted her and, um, became parents. That is what I was getting at. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So I'm adopted also. I know. I think that's awesome. You want to know something else you have in common? With Eliza? You're both from, yeah, you're both from Pennsylvania. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. That's really cool. Have I ever told that whole, like, I've never really told my whole odd adoption story. It's such a bizarre story. That, I'd love to hear it. I right. love adoption stories. Do, do so. you, you want to start with that one? I'll give you the two-minute version. Ready? Okay. A man in South Carolina 
has a wife and nine children. Oh my. The children range from 18 years old all the way down to whatever. He gets up one day and decides he's going to go to Pennsylvania and shack up with a different woman that isn't his wife. Oh, wow. And he leaves. When this episode is over, and by the way, there's a little bit of bonus conversation at the end, just some chit-chat between me and Danelle. Anyway, when it's over, even if like you have to pee, I don't care. Skip that. Go right to dancingfordiabetes.com. That's dancing, the number four, diabetes.com. Now, if you sit down to pee, you can do these things at the same time. The wife and her nine children don't like that so much. So the wife <laughs> no. packs up the nine children, moves them all to Pennsylvania, and goes about getting this man back in their lives. That process takes enough time that her oldest daughter got time to find a job, meet a boy, and get pregnant, wow. have a baby. That ends up being me. Wow. The mother does not gets the husband back does not allow my birth mother to bring me back to South Carolina, puts me up for adoption there. Wow. Years and That's years. Crazy. Isn't that nuts? Years and yeah. years and years later, my wife makes me reach out and try to find out something about my birth parents because we're having kids and she just wants to know the medical side of it. And I am not, sure. I'm not one of the like, I feel like sometimes adopted people fall into buckets. I'm not, I'm not overly bothered or bothered at all about being adopted. So I never even occurred to me, but I did it because my wife asked. Sure. So we find an attorney's able to find a sister of the, of the mother of my mother. I call her on the phone and she goes about telling me a story that her mom made her sister give the baby up for adoption, which was very mm -hmm. weird to hear yourself talk that spoken about like that in the odd, right. oddly third person. Right. And um, made, made her give me away. She said it caused her to become incredibly depressed. She couldn't, sh she couldn't shake that depression her entire life, became morbidly obese, shook herself out of it in her 40s, tried to get gastric bypass surgery to get her life back together, and died on the operating table. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that insane? That is so sad. It is incredibly sad. A few moments later, she said, if my younger brother calls you about money, and I was like, well, I got to go. And I hung up, <laughs> and I've never spoken to them again since then. <laughs> wow. Wow. Now, you've, now, these people were from, like, they were literally, like, lived in the kind of woods in South Carolina. And you've wow. listened to this podcast for a while. How long do you think I would have made it there? Yeah, no. Yeah, right. I, don't, yeah. I don't think so. Someone, someone would have... <laughs> accidentally shot me during hunting at some, <laughs> at some point. I'm, I'm pretty sure. So anyway, I feel pretty lucky because I, I quite enjoy my life. So I'm glad it went this way. Um, Perfect. and I, I just, I don't know. I never told anybody that before. So there you go. That is a bizarre story that a person told me on the phone like 10 years ago as I was, my wife standing in the doorway going, what's happening? And I'm like, it's hard to explain. Just hold on. <laughs> <laughs> that is really crazy. Do you know how Eliza ended up with you? Do you know her path? Yeah, her path, our, it's a little crazy. It's, I'll, I'll try to tell the shortest version of it. We, we had been married for about 10 years at that point, and we had gone through some you know, infertility stuff, and we had started thinking about adoption. Now, my younger sister has adopted her oldest child, um, and so she had gone through that process before when a friend of hers, that's a mutual friend of, of ours, actually, called her up and said, hey, 
I have a family friend who is looking to place a child for adoption. Is Danelle thinking about adoption? They've been married for 10 years. Like, yeah. you know, I'm just making some assumptions here. And so she had contacted my sister. My sister was like, well, let me do some things on the back end and figure out if this family is serious about placing because that's a really hard thing to go through. Okay. The only person I'd ever told that I was considering adoption was my sister. And so she did all this back stuff, you know, like called the family, made sure that they were really serious. Um, and then we got a phone call from them saying, Hey, our, you know, we're, we are thinking about placing for adoption. And my, you know, my sister was involved in that. And so, um, yeah, it was through this really random string of people. We hadn't even finished our paperwork yet for adoption. Okay. We rushed it through and, um, they live in, yeah, they're in Pennsylvania. She was a very young girl. Um, and she, I was raised by her grandparents who were really old and just said, like, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to raise another baby and you're not ready to do this. And she agreed. She knew she wasn't ready and she wanted something better for her daughter that was about to be born. Now, when Eliza was born, she was born in December mm-hmm. and we fully expected to have her place with us then. And the birth mother backed out. And so we were like, my husband was crushed. For me, I was like, well, I think this is just kind of the impetus to push us to get our paperwork done because we were kind of dragging our feet on it. And then all of a sudden, next thing we know, we um, got a phone call three months later. And she was like, I, I'm ready now. Can you, can, and, and can you, she goes, I'm sorry. Can you come tomorrow? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm laughing. we have nothing. I'm just laughing because apparently it takes about 90 days of not sleeping for a, t- for a teenager to go, I really don't want to do this. <laughs> honestly, and like that three, like if you remember when your babies were tiny, three months is like that tipping point. Yeah. Like right after three months, they kind of start getting a little bit better and it gets a little bit easier. So I'm like, oh, I'm so glad she did right you then. Do, you do wonder what yeah, what if she would have made it a little longer, right? And she might have changed yeah. her mind. I mean, I think that that it was it was the right thing for her to do. I mean, she really wasn't in a place. She hadn't graduated high school. She never did end up graduating high school. Mm-hmm. Um, her grandfather ended up passing away right after that. Um, so it, it, there was no other there was no other way for her to to really be successful. Well, I can't in imagine. That situation. I can't imagine anything more difficult. I mean, I've you know. I've considered it for myself and now I know the story that, you know, of, of my birth mother sort of being forced basically to, right. you know, so just said, look, we're not taking, we didn't, we didn't, I mean, can you imagine when you stop and think about it, you and your nine kids leave to go get your husband back and show back up with not just your, you know, your cheating husband, but a baby. Right. Yeah. You no. know, like at some point the, apparently the embarrassment line hit her mom and she's like, I can only go back to South Carolina with so much, you know, baggage. But right. but where it really hit me about how difficult it must be to let go of a child like that. Now, I think in Eliza's case or mine, there's love behind that. Like you said, there's an, Absolutely. There's an idea of I can't, I just, I know I'm going to mess this up and let's not put this baby in that situation. Where it really, where it really struck me very recently was my father, so not my birth father, but my adopted father did eventually leave my mom when I was 13 and when my brothers were eight and three. Yeah. Wow. So we have 13, eight and three and my dad left and he never really was all that involved with us throughout his life. And he passed away and you know, we saw him a little bit towards the end and that was it where it really struck me was after I dropped my son off at college and I was driving home and couldn't stop. Like I wasn't full out like 
like movie crying. I just, I couldn't <laughs> just, I couldn't stop like the tears from flowing out of my eyes while I was driving. Yeah. And I'd left my son in possibly one of the best situations that an 18 year old boy could be in. Sure. And I thought, if this is this difficult for me, why was it so easy for my dad? Like oh. that was the first time that struck me. I was like, oh gosh, he really did not care about us all that much because oh. like, at least that's how it felt to me because, sure. you know, because how could it have been this easy for him? Y- y- you know, and that was the part, that's where it really struck me. I was like, if it's this hard for me just to leave my son two and a half hours from here, knowing I'm going to see him next week, then what was my, what was going through my father's head when he was like, okay, I'm out of here. You know, like that was really, really a strange thing for me. But anyway. I don't know about you, but sad conversations about adopted children and the families that had to give them away make me want to eat low carb. So that's why we're going to talk about realgoodfoods.com right now. Now, I don't know if you understand this or not, but at realgoodfoods.com, when you use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout, you in fact will save 20% on your entire order. Couple that with the idea that Real Good Foods has free shipping, and we're starting to look at quite the little deal here. Now, I got a note recently from someone from Arizona who said, you know, I wanted to order, but I don't know about the warm weather and shipping frozen stuff. Do not worry. Real Good Foods knows how to ship frozen. They're amazing at it. As a matter of fact, just yesterday, I got a shipment in the mail of some of their new food offerings, which I'd like to tell you about right now. Of course, you already know about the breakfast sandwiches, the chicken crust pizza, the cauliflower crust pizza, the enchiladas, poppers, and chicken crust pizza. But have you heard about the brand new chicken alfredo and marinara and cheese Italian entrees? Oh, oh, you have not? Hmm? You just hearing about this now? Yeah, probably going to want to go to realgoodfoods.com and check it out. When you get there and you see those entrees, mmm, and the brand new breakfast sandwich is looking so good. Just, you know, clicky clicky into the cart, put them in there, throw in some cauliflower crust pizza and a couple of poppers. And when you're done and you're hitting checkout, Real Good Foods wants you to use the offer code JUICEBOX. And when you do, it will take 20% off of your order. Realgoodfoods.com. Use the offer code JUICEBOX. You know, we felt that a little bit when we had Eliza placed with us, you know, that very next day, I was like, oh my gosh, she feels like my daughter. Like, this is my child. I felt an ownership and a, and a love for her that was so strong. And for the next year and a half, we actually battled the birth father um, a little bit. And the, the idea of her being taken from me, I was like, but she's mine. You can't take something that belongs to me, you know? So I understand, like, I, I can't imagine just walking away from that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So no one knows it, uh, but you were nervous when we started. Are you nervous now? I, I made you comfortable, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm coming down. I'm coming down. down. It's good. Okay. So <laughs> I'm a high strung person anyway, Scott. So this is, <laughs> don't, don't I'm going to be nervous the whole time. <laughs> I think that a lot of people I've interviewed in the past just heard you say that and thought, Oh my gosh, me too. I mean, you have to have enough energy and confidence to reach out to be on the podcast, right? That's That's true. That in itself is pretty difficult. So um, you go through all of this and get a baby. And then three years old, three and a half years old, and she develops type one. Now, this is interesting because you have no – it's not like any of the family history that you have. Right. You're not worried about it, right? Right? It never even occurs to you. So how does it present? So – 
it, it happened really fast. And for some reason, I think, so we did know the birth father had type one. Um, but that was, it was a very strange way that we kind of knew that. Um, so that was kind of in the back of my mind, although I never Googled the disease. I never looked into it. So I knew nothing about it other than I had an acquaintance a long time ago that had type one, but I knew enough that, um, when some symptoms started presenting themselves, I, I figured it out rather quickly. And within a week of her, (laughs) I never Googled it, which is stupid of me because within a week of it, I knew that's what it was, but I didn't take it very seriously. I thought it would be like one of those things where, you know, you went into your doctor and you're like, Hey, I think she has diabetes. And they're like, okay, let's give you the name of a specialist. And you'll go through that specialist. It'll take three months and then you'll get things figured out. And I had no idea. So, you know, she's wetting, suddenly wetting the bed and she's drinking a ton and she's so hungry. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, what is going on? First we start cutting off water. Then we start, you know, then it dawns on me like this is, this is diabetes. And so we had an appointment already scheduled for preschool. And so I was already going to see the the doctor and I thought, well, I'll just ask about it then. And so I took her into that appointment and it was a nurse practitioner. And at the end of all of the things, you know, checking blood pressure and all of that, she asked, is there any questions that you have? And I said, um, you know, we might want to check for diabetes because she's been peeing a lot and she's been drinking a lot. And she kind of looked at me with this look like, did you really just wait to the end of our appointment for this? <laughs> and I was like, uh, you know what? Yeah. You like, started with, happen. she could have an infection from a splinter. That's where I'd like to start. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, well, did you, in the back of your mind, did you just not want someone to tell you that she had diabetes? I guess I just thought it was going to be something like, you know, all the other times that you ever take your child in for something, you know, like like she had a speech delay. And so, you know, we took her in and they're like, okay, well, you're going to call this specialist. And then three months later, you'll have an appointment and they'll tell you what to do. And, you know, it wasn't, I I just figured it would be like that. It wasn't that I was trying to deny it. I just didn't know it was so serious. And so when she said, okay, we'll do a quick urine check and, you know, and then came back in the room with like this pale face and she says, she has ketones. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And she said, it means that she has diabetes and you're on your way to the emergency room. And I was like, that's when the gravity of it hit me, like the emergency room. Yeah. Why? And I was like, can I stop by home? And she's like, is home on the way to the emergency room? <laughs> and I was like, kind of. And she's like, you can go grab something, but you're, we've already called and they've got a room for you. And I was like, oh. So I call my husband and I was like, we're on our way to the emergency room with Eliza. And he's like, well, wait for me. I'll be there in a few minutes. And so he works in D.C. and he jumps on the metro and comes home. And at home, I'm sitting there you know, waiting for him. It's about 45 minutes for him to get there. And I'm trying to explain to my little three-year-old what's happening to her. And she's really calm about it, but she's hungry. And they've told us not to feed her. And, and I'm like, well, you have diabetes. And my understanding of diabetes at this point is you can't eat sugar, almost like it's an allergy. Right. You know, like you're going to be, you're allergic to sugar now. And so she starts asking me questions. Mom, can I still eat pickles? Can I still eat olives? These are her, <laughs> fav- these are her favorite foods. And so I grab a jar of pickles out of the fridge and a jar of olives. And I'm not looking at carbs because I have no idea. Yeah, right. No idea. But I am concerned about sugar. So I'm looking at the ingredients and I'm like, oh, pickles don't have sugar in them. Olives don't have sugar. And then she goes, mom, can I have honey? And I was like, I don't know. Let's look. And so I grabbed the honey. And did you know that there's no honey or there's no sugar in honey? It, plenty of carbs, <laughs> just no actual sugar. <laughs> plenty of carbs. 
farm. So I'm like, you can have honey. And I'm like, I'm converting all my recipes now to have honey in them. In your mind, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You so, understand, um, I imagine, that this episode's called Pickles and Honey, right? That's, that's, <laughs> awesome. that's where we're going from here. But, but that's so, perfect. So, so, you're, so that's, by the way, bizarre and beautiful at the same time. Were, were you having this like, was it, so the hunger, let me, that's what I want to talk about. I remember the day before we figured out Arden had type one, she stood with this like thousand yard stare on her face in front, in front of a plate of food, eating it. Like, did you, have you seen the original Jurassic Park movie? Yes. Do you know when the two little kids climb over the fence, the little boy gets electrocuted, they end up back in the, in kind of like the, where all the food is and they stand there like, like monsters and shove the food into their mouth. That, yes. That's how that's how Arden was eating. She had a thousand yard stare, like she'd just been electrocuted, and she was just reaching at the plate, grabbing food with her hand and shoving it in her mouth over and over again. And I was looking yeah, at her. Yeah, I couldn't keep her full weird. enough. Yeah, right. I know. That's exactly I was like, you're eating more food than I am. I'm a full grown human and mm-hmm. you're this little tiny three year old and you're just shoving it in and yeah. that and the amount of water too. It was like, Oh my gosh, no wonder you're wet in the bed. Knock it off. You it, know? It's weird when you look back, Arden's eating all that food. Like you said, massive amounts of food, not eliminating it and losing weight. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. Was, it was like there was a, you know, like an alien in her, which there was. Right. Di- right. Yeah, right. Diabetes. So, yeah. Well, okay. So you, you and your pick, did you just tell me, were the pickles in the car with you while you were driving to the emergency room? <laughs> they, they were not. I okay. should have. And now I look back and I'm like, I wish I would have given her some food because she was so hungry and they wouldn't let her eat until like four hours later. And the whole time she's like, mom, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And I, a hungry child to me is like the worst thing in the world. And so to have her be telling me she's hungry made me feel just so sad inside. It did. And so, you know, then the doctor comes in and bless our doctor's heart. She's an amazing woman. She comes in and the first question Eliza asks is, can I eat olives and pickles and honey? And our doctor said, of course you can. You can eat anything you want. You're going to figure out how to cover those carbs. And like this weight came off of my shoulders too. Of like, oh, she's like, nothing's going to change. You just have to cover the carbs. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Nothing changed. Okay. And nothing changed at all. Everything's exactly the same, right? Oh, it's all the same, right? <laughs> it's all good. It's, you know, I mean, obviously, like, then we had a lot of discussions about what would change. But it was not like, hey, no, you can't have these things anymore. Your life is going to continue on and you're going to be able to eat these foods. You're just going to have to figure out how to, how to cover those carbs. So. so what did they send you home with to do that job? We were on MDI and on, you know, finger pricks for a long time, Humalog and Lantus. And then we, the, the push to get a pump came because Eliza said to us at one point, I don't like shots anymore. And so I started looking into pumps and then they, the insurance decided that they wanted to change us from Lantus to Levamir and it was going to change to, from one shot to two shots a day. Yeah. And I was like, I can't now tell her when she's saying she wants no more shots. I can't You're I adding can't. another one. Yeah. Add another one in there. And so we looked at pumps and we did land on the Omnipod and we have never looked back. We love that pump so much. Well, Arden needed an injection the other day, um, which hasn't happened in a really, really long time. And, and she looked right at me like, whoa, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I, I was like, we just have to just inject this. I'm checking, trying to check to see if her, her site was not doing what I thought it was doing or if it was her period coming and it was, it was her period coming. The site, oh, was, man. the site was fine. So, um, but she still, she looked at that needle like, Hey, 
buddy. <laughs> I noticed you're walking towards me with a needle. <laughs> yeah, you should see Eliza. Okay, so we did MDI for like two, three years, mm-hmm. and she was fine. But you should see what happens now when a flu shot has to happen. We have to hold that girl down to get her a flu shot. Yeah. Like, oh, girl, I don't know why you're being so wimpy about this. Yeah. You're a tougher girl than this. Absolutely happened to Arden the same way. She was. She did injections from two years old till four, and you know, never batted an eye at it. I mean, after the beginning when you had to like kind of sit on her once in a while. But I mean, once she got into the role, it was no big deal. But then she didn't do it for years. And then, you know, go to the endo every, you know, get that blood test once a year and, you know, and, and nothing, no problems, no problems. All of a sudden she's about nine years old and she just went off like a, like a, like a crackhead ninja in the office. She was like up on the table, like kicking and had her arms going and she was like, get away. And we did, I had to take her out of the room. I'm like, what, what's happening? And she's like, I don't want her to take my blood. I'm like, Arden, we do this. Like, like, what are you talking about? Like, you, you know, like, and, and I couldn't, I had to take her in another room, calm her down. Um, the nurse pretty much had to like arm bar to get it finished. And the next couple of blood tests after that progressively got better, but they were bad for a while. Oh yeah. We've had to bribe her with so many things just to be able to get her to get that blood draw done. And oh my gosh, it's crazy. And I had no idea how strong her legs were until I got kicked by her. <laughs> That girl's got some strong legs. (laughs) The craziest thing is that, you know, maybe two blood tests ago, you know, three years into this like slow titration from, you know, crazy crackhead ninja back to normal again. (laughs) And, and she just started explaining it to the phlebotomist the other day. She goes, yeah, for a couple years, I don't know what happened, but it was freaking me out. And and, and the woman's like, you okay now? She goes, I don't love it now, but I'm okay. So I don't know what happened. Sure gets better. Good. Yeah. She, yeah, yeah. she must've just hit like some sort of magical limit about being stuck with a needle and was like, that's it. It's over. Uh, but, yeah, but she's good. She's good again. I mean, good. What does good mean? I have to give, right. I, I'm having a procedure next week. I have to have a little blood taken for it. And I, I, every day I get up, I'm like, I'm going to go get that blood draw done today. And I don't do it. So oh, man. <laughs> no one's looking for it. You know what I mean? Well, I think about my other, my two little ones that are the same age that Eliza was when she was diagnosed. And I'm like, there is no way that either one of those would handle the things that she has handled. She is so much stronger than the two of them. So thank goodness. I mean, if it was going to have to happen to one of my kids, Eliza's the one to have it happen to because she's so much more brave and strong than these other two little wimpy kids. So <laughs> what if Eliza's not brave at all? The other two are just a real mess. What, could that be? They, <laughs> they might be. This could be true. <laughs> so you have twins. Are those, um, did you take some drugs to make the babies or did you adopt some more? <laughs> we, we took lots of drugs. Gotcha. Okay. Isn't it yeah, interesting? They're, they're IVF babies. And it's funny cause we have, we have a lot of twins in our family. My sister has a set of twins. I have sisters who are twins. Um, so we've got a lot of twins. So when people ask me like, Oh, do twins run in your family? I can say yes without having to get into the whole IVF thing, mm-hmm. but that is how they were created was through IVF. Let me tell you something that you said earlier that struck me so strongly, but it didn't fit into the conversation anywhere was that someone surmised because you had been married about 11 years without kids that you were having <laughs> trouble conceiving. Like, like yeah. I didn't realize that if you didn't have babies and you've been married for a certain amount of time, there was a, a portion of the population that just assumed you were trying and it wasn't working out. Like, I, couldn't it have been possible that you just didn't, you weren't having kids on purpose? It's just a very interesting leap that someone made. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously we've spoken about the community in which I, I am a part of. And I think that in that community, family is a really big deal. And so obviously, you know, 
that's something that I, and, and this girl knew me too. And so she knew that we had a goal of having children. Oh. Um, so yeah. So now I realize that before we officially started the podcast, we talked about this. We haven't talked about it in the body of the podcast. That's you, right. you are you, somehow again, no one is pre-screened <laughs> before they come on the podcast, but this is slowly becoming the diabetes Mormon podcast. So, <laughs> I see what you're saying. so, so within your religion, not having kids for that long is like, it's a flag, a flag okay. for sure. You know, it's not like everybody must have this many kids at this certain time, but you know, it's something that we do put place an emphasis on and, and having kids is important. And, right. um, and it was for us, you know, like we really wanted a family. Um, when we first got married, I think my husband said, I want a dozen kids. And I was like, Whoa, let's, <laughs> let's start with less, a few less. And then if you need to figure out how to have more then we'll figure that out. But <laughs> then we'll start taking babies at the mall, but I'm not making right. all babies. <laughs> That's right. I, said, I actually did say like, I think I could probably do six, but then the rest will have to figure out how else they come in because I don't think my body can do more than that. Turns out I'm not very good at making them at all in general. And so I, one pregnancy was enough for me. I have three kids from one pregnancy. We're good to go. Yeah, yeah you did a good job. Uh, okay, okay, okay. So my gosh. So how old, you just made me laugh. How, how old is Eliza when you decide pump and is it pump first? Are you using a CGM? We are using a CGM. We just switched to the G6 and we love it. How would you like to hear how marketing people talk about the Dexcom G6? Let's see. No idea where that number's headed, up or down. A CGM is more like a story. It stands for continuous glucose monitoring. And the oh, that's nice. But now let's talk about the Dexcom G6 like people, like those who understand the battle. In the end, you need to know which way your blood sugar is moving and how fast it's getting there. And that is exactly what the Dexcom G6 brings to you. Recently, I've been fine-tuning Arden's basal programs, and I'm doing that with the information I'm getting back from the Dexcom. Half an hour ago, her blood sugar was trying to get low, but it never did. Why? Because Dexcom told us it was coming. And Arden was able to go get her nighttime snack at the exact right time to not only stop a low, but to create a nice smooth transition from the blood sugar that was dropping to a nice stable blood sugar of, let me look and tell you, 97. Not only does Dexcom show you the direction your blood sugar is moving and how fast it's going, but it allows you to see those things remotely. So Arden was in the shower as her blood sugar started getting low. I saw that on my phone. And by the time I got to Arden to tell her, she was telling me, hey dad, my blood sugar is getting lower. I'm gonna have that snack now. Isn't that amazing? All right, listen, you can get the Dexcom share and follow on Android or iPhone. And you can find out all about the Dexcom G6 by going to dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Because I have a tiny bit of time here at the end, I want to tell you that the Dexcom G5 CGM system is now covered under Medicare for people living with type 1 or type 2 diabetes. You definitely should check out the CGM that's helped me keep Arden's A1C between 5.2 and 6.2 for five straight years. The links you're going to need are at juiceboxpodcast.com or in the show notes of your podcast app. Um, she, so we did pump first when she was in first grade, we, we got the Omnipod in second grade, we did the CGM. Um, so yeah, and we've, we have loved it. When did you find the podcast? So I found the podcast. That's a great question. Cause, uh, um, what happened is I, I, I've always felt like I've been pretty awesome with diabetes. Of course you have. Um, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm good at this. Our A1C has always been around seven. 
And I joined like the beyond type one community. And I always felt like I was kind of like the person like helping people understand things a little bit. I kind of knew the answers and, and that we've, I've even been asked to be a mentor, um, you know, through our, our office, um, our endocrinologist office. And so I've always felt like, you know, I've, I've got this, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. There's things that kick my butt every once in a while, but most of the time I feel pretty on top of the world. Um, but then all of a sudden Eliza was having these nighttime highs and I could not get them down. She would hit 250 and I would throw insulin at her all night long mm-hmm. and I could not get her down. And so that made me start looking at the way other people were kind of managing diabetes. And there was a couple people online that were having these amazing numbers that I was like, this person, they're a crack case. I don't, well, how are they even getting that? They're just way too extreme for me. Mm-hmm. And so I kept looking and I remembered that a friend of mine, she's going to be listening to this too. So hi, Leah had mentioned your podcast and I had never even listened to like any podcast before, but I was like, I'll give it a try. So I listened and I, it was one of the first episodes um, I listened to. I probably listened to like two or three. And honestly, Scott, if I'm being honest, I thought you were kind of a crack case too. The first time I listened to you, I was like, this guy is extreme. That's fine if he manages his daughter that way, but I don't want to kill mine. (laughs) So, um, so you were a little extreme, but some of the things you said made sense. And one of the first episodes I listened to was Stephen Ponders. And I was like, oh, okay. Here's yet another voice saying kind of the same thing Scott is saying. And uh, these other people on the Beyond Type 1. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to take some of these things and try to, um, you know, make her A1C a little bit better to make these nighttime highs stop. And, and so I started kind of applying those things. And then there was like this one moment, this one key moment that really forced my hand and made me realize that I had to follow some of the things that you were suggesting. Um, we were playing, Eliza and I were playing a, a board game. Um, we were playing Battleship. Do you know that game? Of course. Yeah. So, so I had just been teaching her the game. She had never played it before and, and she was understanding it. You know, she's, she's a smart little girl. She can understand this game. And, you know, you've got the the part up above that's where you put your, um, you know, pegs. your ships and yep. yeah, your pegs that yep. you're guessing for the other person, then your ships below. And then you've got your cross lines that you've got to, you know, line up and everything of J 10 or whatever. And, um, and she was getting it. She was having, you know, a fun time. And we started off our blood sugar was, was around a hundred. And within the next like 45 minutes to an hour of playing this game, her blood sugar went from 100 to about 200. And during that time, her cognitive reasoning diminished the entire time we were playing that game. And I was like, I can't do this to her anymore. I cannot let her get, she already struggles a little bit in school. And I was like, if her blood sugar is an average of 150, which is what a A1C of seven is, that means that there's a lot of times that she's sitting at 200, which I, our threshold on Dexcom was 200. I wasn't taking action. You know, it's not like I ever looked at a 185 and said, Oh, good job. I nailed that. <laughs> I always knew that was high, right. but I wasn't taking any action okay. unless it was mealtime and then I'd correct it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, I'd let her sit there um, because it wasn't above that threshold of 200. Um, it's the number you've moment, talked yourself into being okay with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, you know, just like I wasn't told anything different either, right. you know? And so I, at that moment, I was like, okay. You know, one of the things Scott does is he lowers his threshold. So we lowered that threshold back down to, I think I lowered it at that point to 150. And, and it was amazing the mental shift that happened in my brain 
at that point, I was like, we are, we, I'm taking action all of a sudden. And it's not taking, I crashed her a couple times because it does not take as much insulin to bring down a, a 150 as it does a 250. Right. And so, you know, I crashed her a couple of times and learned to slow down on that. Um, sorry, I'm getting another call and I'm going to have to go oh, there. It stopped. That's fine. I couldn't even sorry. tell on the sign. Don't worry about it. Oh, good, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so so that was the first thing that I did. The second thing was starting to pre-bolus her. And I couldn't believe what a difference that made. And so we went into the endo after a couple months of, of following some of your advice. Went from a 7 to a 6.2. And my endo was like, I'm, she comes into the office. She's like, I'm sorry I'm late. And I was like, oh, I didn't even notice. And she's like, I was walking around with your chart showing all the other endos, your daughter's chart. And I was like, score. Yeah. And she goes, she goes, what have you been doing? And I was like, listening to a podcast. And she's like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> she was probably walking around trying to take credit with the other endos. They probably have some sort of a bet in the back office. You probably put her over. She won the gift card or something like that. Which, by the way, is a fantastic idea. I don't yeah, think. It yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, they could be playing like you know, some sort of a game with all their patients' A1Cs. Um, well, well, first of all, I'm glad you kept listening, you, you know, and I get how if you come in cold, especially now that the podcast is older, like back in mm -hmm. the beginning, if you would have come in in the beginning, you would have just been like growing along with me while I was kind of like fleshing out the ideas. And I would have seen more like you searching and less like the person who had already gotten to the spot. You, you know what I mean? Right. And so I get that. I, I, you know, I just got back from speaking somewhere and I started by saying, this is going to sound crazy to everybody in the room, but type one diabetes is mostly about pre-bolusing and understanding the balance between timing and amount. And that's mm -hmm. really kind of it. Like there's more than that, but that's the, to me, that's the seed of where it all starts. Um, Absolutely. You know, and it's just, it, you know, to hear somebody say my kids, a one C's and the fives when yours is good and yours was good you know, at seven, that yeah. does, that, that does sound insane. I hear from a lot of people, Oh, I just figured you were low carb when I saw that at first. Um, I get that there's a barrier to, to wanting to hear more, but I'm glad you did. It sounds like it's going really well for you. So that's really the key to the whole thing for you has been pre and not letting her blood sugar get too high before you act. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those two things alone have changed so much about what we do. And, and, you know, there's been these moments where, she has, I can tell that she just feels better, you know, and, and when she gets high now, she recognizes it and she even has started taking action. Um, you know, she'll give herself a bolus. She's crashed herself a couple of times and I've had to tell her like, let's not just jump to two units there. Let's, <laughs> you know, now the rule is she has to follow whatever the pump says, you know, when she puts her blood sugar and if she's feeling high, she did it once when we were on a date and she was home with the babysitter and she saw that that she was like at 150 and I kind of purposely ran her a little bit high just because I didn't want to deal with, we'd been having these like lows right before bedtime. And so I was like, I'm not having this happen. So I ran her a little bit higher so that I could just be on a date with my husband mm -hmm. and I'm sitting in the theater and all of a sudden I'm getting this, you know, alarm that she's like having a, a 50 and I'm like, what, this is not supposed to be happening. And turns out she had decided to give herself two units where I would have given her a half for that. Right. Oh, good for so. her. She's going to, I mean, that's another way to learn, you know, is her, that's her, own, her, her own little experience. It's cool that she feels like, you know, like she wants to do something about it. I will tell you that like, hold on tight because, you know, everybody says, wait till, you know, wait till it happens, wait till they hit that spot, that age, you know, it's harder with mm. girls and it is with boys, you know, on, because of like hormones and blood sugars and stuff. And I, I'm telling you, I'm, 
I'm four months into it being harder. And yeah. and right now, all it means is it's less predictable than it had been in the past. Um, staying fluid is more important than ever. And I am really, really seeing how much benefit basal rates can bring. Um, because it, it's they've been a, a huge help to me moving forward. Uh, doubling basals, moving basals way up when she's Arden's resistant from her insulin. Um, it really is... It's nuts. And it lasts for so long. Like even when I did an interview a while back with somebody and we all we talked about was like, you know, menstruation and how it worked. I was like, oh, so like weeks before the actual, you know, period like this, I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. Like, it's okay. Now that it's happening, I'm telling you those years moving up to this, those as hard as they seemed, those are your training wheel years. (laughs) So I'm just hoping that horizon or dash or whatever it is that's coming from omnipod and her and and the dexcom comes out before i have to deal with any of that yeah it sounds, I, I guess you will probably honestly age-wise you'll it'll, it should beat it should beat her uh it should get here before her maturity time i guess i hope so yeah, i hope so yeah, i think I, it but i it really has been working for me i mean I just had to set up a new basal program that I, I didn't name anything, but it was the one I'm thinking, this is the period basal program. And, and, <laughs> and it, is, it takes her basal rate from like 1.4 to 3 an hour. Oh, wow. And that's enough to hold things down. So it, was, it really bent, bent my mind a little bit when I started doing it. It took me, I, I will tell you that, I was mentioning this the other day to somebody, I found myself sitting in my house very quietly one day thinking, okay, when this happens to other people, what do I tell them to do? <laughs> I, I, I really did think like, okay, if this was somebody, if this was somebody else talking to me, what would I say to do? And, and you know, and so I just was, and like, then you took your own advice. Yeah, and I, but, but not, I don't mean it like that. I don't mean it like in a douchey way. What I mean is like, I mean like that, it was, you know, things had been going along so well for so long that I was just on, like, I was on cruise control and I didn't, I didn't have to make any grand adjustments in the couple of years prior. Like, I'm telling yeah. you, I just did what I did. I did what I say on this podcast and her A1C is in the fives. It's like no big deal. And then all, awesome. all of a sudden it was a big deal. And, and I had to, like, it wasn't just like little bump and nudge changes. Like I have to make like a, like a wholesale change here to something I'm doing what would I say to someone else? And I thought, well, what I would say to someone else is if her blood sugar's high, there's not enough insulin or it's mistimed or a combination of the both. So I was like, more insulin. And it wasn't just enough to bolus more. And, when, and then I was like, oh my God, I'm doing all this big bolusing and her blood sugar's not coming down. And then I thought, right, because when you're bolusing too much, your basal's not high enough. And I was like, oh, that's a thing I say on the podcast. And so I, like, <laughs> so I, I made all the adjustments and her blood sugar came back down. I was like, no kidding, that podcast works. That's like really, really like it floored me because it's something that from the outside, you know what I mean? Like it's something you see differently than I see. And, yeah. and, and so I, it, I don't know, it's hard to put into words, but I actually had to stop myself and think like, what would I do? And, or what, what would I tell people to do? Uh, but it, it, it's, it's going well again. It's a little different, but, um, you know, it should get us through this part. Plus she's growing. You can see it on her. She's getting bigger and more mature like, you know what I mean? And, and her body's yeah. like thickening and like you know, everywhere. She's not, she's not going to be a kid much longer. So Crazy. everyone hold on tight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We just had to increase um, Eliza's basal at night too, because we were having, again, like we got through that little 
patch six months ago, and I think she's on another growth pat, growth spurt again. Mm-hmm. And I just increased her basal from I think it was eight point five or point eight five um, to now one. And I think that's a little strong, so I have to bump it back down because this morning she woke up and she was like at a sixty three, and I was like, that's a little probably lower than I yeah. I want you to wake up at. So. Uh, I think that was a little stronger than it should have been. Good for so. you though, for making the adjustments and paying attention. And that's the part you have to, that's the stuff you have to do to be perfectly honest. It is constant. It is. It really, it really is. There's Arden's home today. There's no school today here. It's one of those pretend holidays where teachers are like, I'm being enriched. I'm like, okay. And so, um, <laughs> and Arden's sleeping in. So there's this possibility in the next like 15 minutes while we're finishing up, I might actually have to go make an adjustment to her basil while she's asleep. But I'll let you know. I wish my kids would sleep in. That would be so nice. That's, I don't know how you have kids that sleep in. Oh, Mine really? do not. Oh, 6 oh. a.m. It's miserable. Oh, that's hard. That's a horror. Do you, have you considered threatening them? Because that's I, not... <laughs> <laughs> might have to. <laughs> because that's, that's, you can't do that. That's not good at all. I, right? I, oh, oh, that's horrible. No, no. Arden would sleep uh, her whole life away if she could. If you didn't want her <sighs> up, she would. She's, it's interesting. Through middle school... You couldn't get her to get up on time for school. It was a constant battle. Like you'd, you'd have to be in there, like shaking her, you know. And um, for a long time, I couldn't figure that out. Then we realized she had hypothyroidism, and when she got on um, Synthroid, that got a little better. So she wasn't as tired. So then I felt bad about that because I thought she was just like lazy and didn't want to get up. But I think it turns out it, it was a thyroid issue. But sure. st- but still, for the year and a half after she was on the Synthroid, she still likes to sleep. So, but she can get up now. Like now she can actually get up without a problem. And then high school started and it was like a switch flipped. And she's like, I'm going to be on time in high school all the time. And I was like, great. And she's never been late. She wow. just pops up and gets dressed. And she didn't know how to hurry before. Does that make sense? Like if you, yeah. be like, hur- like if that, it felt like if the house was on fire and people were shooting, she'd be like, this is the pace I'm moving at. And, and now, and now she knows how to look at the clock and think. I have to move quicker and she actually does it on her own without being taught. So, mm-hmm. or being, without being told. So hopefully growth like that will continue because, you know, I think your biggest parenting uh, job is to repeat things over and over again without getting completely frustrated. And oh I, gosh, I was yes. get, I was getting tired of being like, hurry up, hurry up, please hurry up, please go faster. You're killing me. Why won't you go <laughs> faster? That finally went away. It'll be replaced with a much bigger problem that probably involves a boy. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, Tell yeah, me yeah. how that goes. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to go horribly. Anyway, okay, so you're so you're doing like you're at a seven, and you start just making small adjustments like pre-bolusing and being a little mm-hmm. more aggressive. And the one thing again that I can't stress enough: high, your high mark for Dexcom, where you alarm at a high. The lower you bring that down, the the quicker you can react with less insulin. The less lows you get later, the less highs you have, right? In the 11 years that Arden has been using the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump, it's always felt like it was made just for us. It just fits her life. It fits her needs, and it's easy. The last time her pump needed to be changed, the timing of it was not great for school. We had put the pump on, I think, on a Saturday in the afternoon, and And of course, it needed to be changed on a school day then, in the afternoon, still while Arden was at school. So I made this sort of like split-second decision as we were going out the door for school. I'm like, we have to change your pump now because otherwise it's going to need to be changed while you're at school. So come here real quick. And I always wish you guys could watch while we're doing that. The pump change is just so simple. Insulin. Fill it. Push the button. It primes itself. 
needle cap off, stick it on, push button, click, 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 it's in, you're all done. I mean, to call it a diabetes pit stop would even be unfair. It takes no time whatsoever to change an Omnipod. One of the little things I love about it, because it's easy to stand here and tell you about, oh, it's tubeless and you can swim with it or you can shower with it or, you, you know, you'll always get your basal and so no matter what you're doing, even if you're like in activities or climbing up the side of a mountain, doesn't matter. But in the end, once you get the pump and you realize it works and it works in all parts of your life, what's left is how it impacts your days. And Omnipod just doesn't. It just doesn't get in the way of you being you. I hope you go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox and check out a free no obligation demo of the Omnipod today. It's the greatest deal in the world. They're going to send you out a free pod. You can stick it on, see what it feels like, wear it, check it out. Really give it the once over. You know what I mean? Put it through the paces. is go to dancingfordiabetes.com and it's going to fill your heart with goodness and make the rest of your day better. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I have it set now to a 140. I heard you lowered yours recently and I was like, whoa, I, I'm not sure if I'm ready for a, a 120 or 125, but we're at 140 now and it's, pretty, it's working pretty well for us. You can definitely respond and it's amazing how when you respond when she hits that you know, 140 mark, or, you know, if you see it going up rather quickly at 130 or something, you know, you respond to that. But, um, you know, when she hits 140, I'm like, I'm going to nudge that back down. And it works so much better than when I was getting a 200. It was so frustrating at night. I would sit there and watch her going up. And, you know, I'm sitting there watching like a 140 to 150 to 160, 170. And I'm doing nothing. And I'm just sitting there going, here we go again. Here we go again. Mm -hmm. And then finally it hits 200. And I'm walking up the stairs to give her a bolus. And, and you know, when I listen to you and and realize like I should be reacting at 140 because I know this is happening. The problem was I couldn't respond to it because it would happen sometime between like nine and midnight. And so I never knew when that, you know, turn would happen. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't just give her a, a basal increase at that point. It was, was going to have to be a bolus um, because some nights it wouldn't happen. It was this weird growth spurt thing that was happening. And, um, but responding to it at 140 made such a big difference than responding to it at 200. Um, so yeah, it's, it's made a huge difference for us. And she's waking up in range, which means that she's staying in range all day and a huge difference there. It's been great. A lot of times the way you start is the way you finish. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's, it, you start with a high blood sugar and the whole day can become a wreck and yeah, vice versa. So it, it is great. It is so much. You're describing that, that price is right. Um, mountain climber game where it's Yodelahi and he's going up and you're like, oh, it'll stop. It won't fall off the edge. It won't. It always falls off the edge. And, and, and you're watching a blood sugar climb the same way. Isn't it interesting? 140, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, nothing. But then it hits the, it hits the, where you said, oh, she's right. high. And now you're like, well, now I have to do something. That is such an arbitrary thing that everyone does. It it's crazy. It's like, why is it 200? Like, what if if someone would have set that line at 150, you would have stood up at 150? Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Once I lowered it, like, my brain just switched over. Like, this is what a high is. Yeah. You know, and, and 
it became like a competition to myself of like keeping her down below that because I was really good at keeping her below that 200 mark, even if it was 198. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'm, you know, this competition of keeping it below that 140 mark. I haven't said this in a long time, but if you can keep a blood sugar stable at 200, you can keep it stable at 180. If you can keep it stable at 180, you can keep it stable at 140. If you can do it at 140, you can do it at 90. It's all the same yep. thing. It's all the it same is. thing. The only difference between 90 and 200 is. I don't know. It's your fear. It's your, it's, your, it's your fear. It's your fear. It's your that fear. That is what of, you have said a million times. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't just say it. I'm uh, sorry. Don't be upset. It's no. It's your absolute your fear. It's your it's your yeah, concern it that you can't react quickly enough to stop a low if it should happen. The funny thing yeah. is, if you're staying around 90, you're using much less insulin to accomplish that, which yeah. makes which makes a low much less likely. Well, the other thing you said too about lows that made so much sense to me is if you can rescue it with a juice box, if you know how much a juice box or a Skittles or whatever it is, you know, how many of her carbs it takes to rescue her, mm-hmm. you know, then don't be afraid of giving that much insulin. And that made so much sense to me. So I was like, oh, you know, I can give her two units of insulin because I know one juice box is going to take care of that. Right. So that's not a problem. And we're already at, you know, if, I, if she's having a really stubborn high and we're, we're sitting there at 180 and I can't bring it down, like two units is going to be rescued with a juice box. Let me just throw three at it because I need that other unit to like really knock that sucker down. So I'm so yeah. touched. You're such a good listener. <laughs> and I, I don't mean like, <laughs> I don't mean listening to me. I mean, listener of the pie. After I said that, I was like, oh my God, I've said that to an animal before. You're such a good listener. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> so, I didn't take it that so way. Good. I'm it's so okay. sorry. No, but you really picked this stuff up quickly. So, so then my question is, when you start listening, once you get past the the kind of crappy part where you're like, I'm doing fine, so this guy must be a lunatic, um, then once you got past that, did you find that when you were hearing things, you thought, oh, this is stuff I've thought in the back of my mind and never given light to, or was it completely new, or was it a mix of that? I think it was probably a mix, um, you know, without having the, I don't know, that boldness factor of being able to say, this is working for somebody else. And if I do it, you know, he's having success. So I can do this too. And I can have success. Um, you know, cause we'd certainly played around with things before and I never felt like I had to call my endo mm-hmm. to get permission yeah. to make changes. I always felt like I had that ability. So this was just like that next step and that next growth of making changes was to just take it on myself and, and yeah. And do what you said, be bold with insulin. I'm genuinely grateful that it struck you that way because it could have been the opposite. Obviously you could have listened and just been like, uh, this is stupid and go away. And I realize that that probably happens to more people than I think, you know, who kind of come on and listen for a little bit and think this isn't for me or, you know, he's doing something I don't understand or he's full of crap or whatever it ends up being that you, that you think right away. I will say though, I have told a lot of people about your podcast and I have gotten a lot of people, you know, giving me feedback saying, this has changed everything. This is so great. Um, so I, I've advocated a lot for you. Well, thank so you. I deserve a part of your paycheck, I think. Well, I, I can send you a magnet. <laughs> Would you like a magnet? <laughs> awesome. I'll take yeah, it. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. And, and it's nice because, it, you know, like even if I had figured this out and come to my own conclusion, I'm not the kind of person to, to start a podcast or to start, you know, throwing that out there. Uh, it's definitely not, my passion. Um, but I'm so glad that people like you that do add this voice to our community because it adds weight when 
I give suggestions to other people. Like I said, I've, I've been a mentor for other people mm-hmm. at our endocrinologist office. And, um, and whenever I say, you know, like they'll call me and say, Oh, my son has been high all night. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, he needs insulin. And then I'm like, well, here, let me, let me show you what I mean. Go listen to this podcast. And this episode really explains it. And it's like, it gives weight to something that I'm a nobody. They're not going to listen to me, but like you have a podcast, they'll listen to you. I can't believe that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is like, right. I mean, you know, I think you've probably seen sometimes I've, I've on Facebook, I'll say, yes. well, just like, you know, I've, I've tagged you in posts before and things like that. that. Yeah. Because I know that like my voice is not very strong, but your voice is stronger. And if I can help people through you, that's great. That's really great. And I'm, I'm really appreciative that, that you have not let diabetes define you, but you have found definition in having this diagnosis in your family. Um, and I'm, and that's what I think is beautiful about this disease. It's not something that, that is something to be mourned, but something to find, I don't know, a, a definition and and help other people and it's a great community that we're a part of that's wonderful it's a great thing you're doing by helping other people and i think you're i think you're undervaluing yourself a little bit because your story is valuable too you were where they were and you're not there and you're not there anymore either just because you know the path that you found came through this doesn't mean you you didn't have the the confidence and the nerve to like look for an answer fight sure. through fight through when it didn't make sense at first keep going like there's a lot you did to get through that like giving me the credit really is i don't think it's necessary needed or or even completely true to be perfectly honest like if 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 i would have written all if there was a magic way to write all this down on one sheet of paper <laughs> and you would have found it hanging on the wall in your endo's office you wouldn't have later thought oh uh, well th- i have to tell people about the person who wrote that on that paper y- you know what i mean like it's just the problem with diabetes is that it's obviously a multifaceted thing. There's so many variables and to read about them, it just doesn't do it justice. Like these conversations are how it comes out. Like you, I don't even know at this point, right? We've been speaking for almost an hour and I will let this sit for a while. I'll go back and edit it. I'll, you'll have said something that I don't remember at this moment that when I go back and listen to it, I'll think, Oh wow, that's incredibly valuable. Somebody's going to really get something out of that. And if I would have asked a different person the same question, they wouldn't have said it the way you said it. So mm-hmm. the way you said it's going to hit somebody. And the way I say it's going to hit someone else, the way the person last week said it's going to help. And those are the voices that blend it all together. To give me credit is to say that all I really do is I had this idea. I have a way I manage. And then I bring different people together and let them talk about it with me. That's really yeah. it. You know, it, it's just, and it's incredibly valuable. Don't get me wrong. It is. Uh, it's so powerful. Yeah. But to give me credit for it is ridiculous because if I just sat here and talked for an hour, nobody would listen. I would have run out of things to say a long time ago. You, you, you know but the I mean? fact that you even just decided to do it, I think is, is really important. And I think it's, it's a voice in our community that is, is needed. Well, that's really, and, that's very kind of you to say, but it's, it's, Exactly for the reason of your bat, it's your battleship story. Like, right, is that mm-hmm. you saw your daughter's, like, you think, wow, like she started playing this game, she was so good at it, and then her blood sugar went up a little bit, a little more, a little more, and she lost her ability to even reason her way through this game. I can't, yeah. I can't let this happen to her, right? That's exactly what you thought. Yeah, it is. I've had feedback from people for so long that it, that's how it strikes me. I, I, how could I see this happening? 
and then just go, oh, well, well, good luck. You know, the other day I helped a 22 year old girl who's had diabetes since she was 18 months old. And it took me a half an hour to talk to her while I was cooking dinner. And she went from a lifelong struggle to this amazing graph in 24 hours, 24 hours. It was was insane. And I still, go ahead. So I was going to say, I, I almost wish that I had the opportunity to find Eliza's birth father and talk to him too. Cause there was this moment we, when we found out that he had type one and we, we had the opportunity to meet him about a year and a half into mm-hmm. um, our adoption. And we, we knew that he had type one um, through the birth mother had, had mentioned it. And so when we met and we had this like big party, they welcomed us to their home and we were just having this like good time getting known. One of the reasons we wanted to be there was to like really kind of, you know, get some medical history. And so I brought up diabetes to him and I said, Hey, I understand you, you have type one. And he goes, Oh no, I, I, I used to, but I don't really anymore. And I was like, wait, I was like, I don't think that's how that works, (laughs) but I don't know anything about this disease. I'm not going to argue with you. And his mom is sitting right there too. And she was like, yeah, he was really young when he was diagnosed, but he doesn't really have it anymore. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I guess maybe they just don't want to talk about it. But now looking back on pictures and some other things that we know about, you know, the birth mother mentioned that he had had seizures, that he had had, he'd passed out a few times. Um, Like in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want so badly to go and like find you and like help you now. Um, We've lost contact with him a little bit. I, I probably could, but I don't like, obviously they didn't want to talk to me about it. So I'm not going to go and like intrude in their life and be like, now that I'm an expert about diabetes, <laughs> let me tell you how you should be managing your life. But I see pictures of him and I'm like, that is exactly how Eliza looks when she's high. And I know you're just high all the time. Like you're just not living the best you could be. And I want to like share this with you. No, um, I, I completely understand. And I think that the, I think the real sadness that we don't, we talk about too much and is that this podcast or beyond type one or any of the other many, many really valuable tools that exist. Don't reach nearly everybody. You know, they're probably only reaching a fraction of the people who are looking for answers. Like I don't even, I don't reach everyone who's out there hoping to find something like this. Right. You, You know, so how do you reach the people who have given up? And so that's why I think the podcast is, I, I always wanted to get back to doctors, right? I like, I love that you told your endo that I learned this on a podcast because at some point doctors are going to start saying the things that we're saying here before you even need a podcast. And then you won't need this. You, you know, like, yeah. I think that's all that really is need is, and listen, if people want to make decisions moving forward that don't take the best care of their health, that's absolutely up to them, but they sure. should, but they should at least know the truth before they start. They shouldn't get stuck in, here's some needles, you'll figure it out. And then a year or two later, they haven't figured it out and they give up or they get depressed or whatever happens or your blood sugar, your blood sugar gets so high for so long, you can't even think about it. Right. You know, and, and, and you just think that that's what life with diabetes is. Like we deal with highs, we deal with lows. That's what life is. It's never in between. And there is a better way. There is a way that you can have it so that it's not a roller coaster every single moment. Those things happen. We spike up, we go low, those things happen, but it it shouldn't look like that every second of every day. And there is a way to figure out how to be better. And there, there is a, 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 you know, a way of thinking that a lot of people have, which is, well, I have diabetes now. That means I'm going to live a shorter amount of time. And they accept that. And then, mm-hmm. then they, once they make that acceptance, then they don't really have to put a ton of effort into the management side because 
well, it doesn't matter. Like this is my lot in life. And it's certainly not true, but maybe it is right. true. For, maybe it is true for them. Maybe for a number of different reasons, they really can't do the things you're doing or the things that I'm doing. And they just go, okay, well, let me just get on this roller coaster, ride it as fast as I can until it crashes. And then I'll, I'll walk away. You, yeah. you never know. I know somebody with type two diabetes that takes no care of it whatsoever and constantly sweating and confused and everything and you try to help and you say stuff and they just don't care. Sometimes their spouse gets them back again using the medication. You can see that they completely change and then not too much longer and they just give it up again and, and that's it. So, I mean, not everybody's, you, know, you can't save everybody, I guess, but I, I, at the very least, I'd like to reach them once and tell them it exists so that they can at least have the option. Yeah, absolutely. That's my hope. So, well, you're, you're doing a good job, Scott. Uh, Keep it up. Yeah, you're very kind. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you saying that, really. I'm a little tired this week because I just got done traveling. So I was so happy that you were talkative. <laughs> I am very chatty. Well, not, not just chatty. <laughs> don't, don't do that to yourself. You were responsive and thoughtfully responsive. So I, I said something. You were actually listening to what I was saying, and you kept it going, or you knew what you thought. I thought that was fantastic. So uh, I appreciate that. Very, very well, I hope I, I wasn't like too interrupting all the time. I, I have a tendency to do that, and I apologize if I talked over you. I don't think – no. <laughs> I think we were having a conversation. It's funny. Um, my wife is a, is a I talk, you talk person. She thinks, mm -hmm. it's, it, she thinks she gets to say everything she wants to say, and then when she's done, you can say everything you want to say. And I think conversations are a little more back and forth. Mainly, that's because I can't keep things in my head long enough to let someone else finish before I start talking. So I appreciate that sometimes you have to, you know, something comes out of your mouth when someone else. I mean, you and I aren't looking at each other right now. You can't tell yeah. that all the facial cues that you would use in person are gone. So you kind of right. you have to wait and go. Is he done talking? And, you know, <laughs> and I and I'm doing the same thing. This podcast I was telling somebody the other day. If you really go back and listen through it, has made me a much better listener. It, it, it really has helped me in ways outside of diabetes, too. That is one of them. I'm, I'm a much more complete listener. I used to be a person who, while you were talking, started formulating what I was going to say next. It's, mm -hmm. Instead of letting you finish and seeing if what you said was going to carry me somewhere else. So um, I fall out of it once in a while. I'm sure I'm going to get an email now from somebody who's like, you still do that, you idiot. <laughs> but I'm trying, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really get emails from people saying things like that to you? The angry emails are very few and very far between, but every once in a yes. while I get them. One person really did not like when I called periods lady time. That seemed to oh. very much offend them. <laughs> um, one, uh, I, you talk over people. Uh, you think you're, you're smarter than other people. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but very, very infrequently. I have to say that, and it's nice, it's nice to get all the feedback. Um, because you can't, obviously you can't take the good feedback without, you know, without taking the bad sure. stuff. You can't just say, Oh, I must be perfect for those people. So I'm perfect. And I yeah. really, I really did learn about this years ago. And I've probably mentioned this before, but I wrote a book about parenting and the first nine professional reviews that came back were all so glowing that like two weeks into the review process, I was walking around my house like, I've written a perfect book, obviously. And <laughs> then the 10th one came, and it was so bad that the publisher called me and said, listen, there's going to be a review of your book tomorrow that's not good. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. I was like, I have nine good ones already. We're on our way, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, no, listen, it's really bad. And I was like, what did the reviewer not like about the book? And he said, well, 
basically, I think everything you, he he goes, he stopped short of calling your family ugly, but it, you know, it was like, (laughs) it was really harsh. And I thought, okay, well that won't bother me. And then I read it and it really bothered me. And I, I had to figure out how to let it go. It was the first time I realized that if I was going to put something out into the world like that, I had to be prepared for the fact that some people would not appreciate how I did it, why I did it, what I did. And that if, as long as I was comfortable with what I had done and did it for the right reasons that I can't, I can't sit around worrying if it didn't strike somebody the right way. So I just do my best. And, you know, I would have to say that 99% of my feedback is all, you know, more, more like yours than like that, but you gotta, you you gotta be ready to like shake it off or, uh, it'll hit you pretty hard. I went out to dinner after that book review with my, with my wife and she said, I just sat there like staring. I was like, I was like, how could they have hated everything about it? Like there was nothing good. (laughs) Anyway, it's amazing how that bad, like wipes away all the good that was said too. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. The first nine I thought were just wrong then. I was like, oh, those people who really liked it, they must be stupid. This person knows. And then, you know, a couple of days later you realize it doesn't matter. Like that's the real key to it. It just really doesn't matter. I, I'm pleased with what I did. I absolutely did my best for the right reasons and it's all I can do. So I think that happens with diabetes too, right? Like a high, all of a sudden you're like, I'm the worst at this. I can't do this. Oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm failing. And, and I've had to like really stop myself from feeling that way. I'm like, nope this is diabetes that, you know, highs happen. And it's not because I'm failing. Even if I've had three highs in a row or whatever, I've had to stop myself and say, no, I've had success. I've lowered that from seven to 6.2. We're on the right path. It's okay that, you know, I, I goofed up. I did not bolus correctly for that Chinese food or whatever it is, you know? So yeah, your one failure should not define all your successes. You said it almost the way I would have. And so I'm going to make a slight, like, I'm going to say something about that. So I don't think it's just diabetes in the, in the sense that, cause I think people could hear that. I know what you meant, but I think people could hear that and think blood sugars are going to go up and there's nothing you could ever do about it. That's true. It's going to happen. The truth is there is something you could have done about it. You just didn't do it. And for for whatever reason, you know, a bazillion reasons it could have happened. But the truth is, is that you can look back at that moment later and think, oh, I do see where this came from. And it might help you the next time. I just very strongly believe that it's not a mistake. It's just actionable data for next time. You you know, I I, I did something wrong. Like last night, Arden had, I don't back down. I'm true to my word. Like as hard as Arden's blood sugar has been. When she looked at me last night and said, I want to get Chinese food, I was like, let's do it. So, you know, so we did it. And the first four hours after the initial bolus, things were doing great. And then she starts going up and I can't figure out what's going on. And I realize I'm on her old basal program that cuts back at 9 9 p.m. And so Mm. by the time I realized that was what was happening, then I started chasing with these, you know, I started chasing with, with boluses. And I was like, oh, Scott, come on. It needs to be basal and bolus. So then I put her basal back up rebolused and she came back down and that ended up, you know it but it took it took a while because it was chinese food and it got away from me and so you know again i just i think you have to strip the drama out of it as best you can you really have to remove some of your emotions you can't sit around feeling terrible all the time and wringing your hands you have to go okay i see what i did here i won't do that again and right. to your point i might do it again but i'm not <laughs> but i'm not going to make myself crazy about it later that that's absolutely all. cool well, thank you so much for doing this. I really genuinely appreciate it. Did I say, did we go over everything you wanted to go over? 
You know, I think we talked about a lot of really great things. We were going to, I think, get into some more uh, stuff about adoption, um, but I think that that's okay that we didn't we didn't get there. So. All right. Well, maybe next time. I liked having you on. Well, thanks. Did you love that one as much as I did? I can't hear you, but I'm going to assume you're saying yes. Thanks very much to Dancing for Diabetes, Real Good Foods, Omnipod, and Dexcom. Go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box to find out about the G6 continuous glucose monitor. Go to realgoodfoods.com and use the offer code juice box to save 20% on your entire purchase. Would you like a free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod? Of course you would. Myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. And don't forget to fill your heart with goodness at dancingfordiabetes.com. That's dancing, the number four, diabetes.com. If you can't remember any of those links, they're at juiceboxpodcast.com or right there in the show notes of the podcast player that you're using now. Please don't forget to find the Bold with Insulin Facebook page and like it. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Juicebox podcast. And now, the conversation Danelle and I had before we started recording. Except I was recording. So, before we started the podcast proper. So, I know you're nervous, but... I hope it helps you to know that I think I've recorded 230 of these and everyone's been nervous at the beginning. Have you listened to any of them? Oh, yes. I've listened to quite a few of them. Do any of them sound nervous? No, a few, but no. (laughs) I'll get you over it. It's one of my superpowers. I'll make you comfortable. Don't worry. Awesome. Okay. Uh, One of my superpowers. That one and doing the dishes. (laughs) Awesome. Hey, I'm pretty good at that too. Congratulations. (laughs) Although I hate it. I've I've taken to just putting my iPad next to me and watching something that I've seen before while I'm doing it, um, and then my wife uh, said to me that uh, she she was angry about something last I don't know we've been together a long time she seems to be on a cycle of about twenty days where she gets angry at me for nothing I'm not blaming anything and um, and so she seemed angry and she's like you just stand there with your iPad and I was like would you prefer I just stare at the dish like like what. <laughs> What, what happened? I said, did you, could you sense some happiness? What happened? <laughs> what, what are you upset about? <laughs> anyway. I think uh, it's our job as wives to find things that annoy us about you and point them out. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. I was, she's, she's, she's coming at me one day and I said, uh, you know, our daughter's 14. Like she just started getting her period. Like she has type one diabetes or A1Cs in the fives. Like you would think that just that alone you could just leave me alone once in a while. <laughs> not, not, not just try to like, I just think she's got a happiness sensor on her. If I go over a certain <laughs> setting, she's like, oh, no, 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 buddy. <laughs> you married. So how long have you been married? I would say, if I was guessing, uh, <laughs> no, this summer, I think it's 23 years. Okay. But you I'm, got me beat by a few. I'm only 47, though, so... Well, I, I've been married 20, and I'm only 42, oh, so... Oh, wow. You... All right, so... I could pl- let me play the guessing game of where in the country you live. That happen. And You're wrong. Uh, it's not that. <laughs> no, it, it probably is that because, but that's not where I'm from now. So. Okay, so let me just go out and I'm just going to make my one guess. Then we're going to start. Are you a Mormon? I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. <laughs> there are so many Mormons on the show. I have no I idea. Know. <laughs> It's so weird. I hear it all the time. I'm like, oh, another one of us. 
I should get like a free punch card from the church for something. You should. I want my own Maybe like a portion of our tithing. I would like my own magic underwear is all I'm saying. That's all. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) I don't get that. I cannot look at you. You're like, don't mind. We can get you that. It just takes a little bit of water and... um... (laughs) I see. Okay. Well, I I don't need it that badly. So um, anyway, that's... that's... Oh my gosh. Now, you know, for the rest of my life, anytime I heard somebody got married in their early 20s and has kids, I'm going to be like, you know what I'm thinking here? (laughs) Well, in all fairness, I did not grow up in Utah. I I am from Colorado, so I'm not a (laughs) Utah. Gotcha. And where are you now? An important distinction. We live in Virginia, so I'm not that far from you. 